There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, the roaring of the seas and the waves, the heavens shaken. There will be distress among the nations and the Son of Man descending on a cloud with power and great glory. Many will faint from fear at the things taking place. But when these things happen, stand up, lift up your eyes, your redemption is drawing near. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and on the first Sunday of Advent, Jesus always gets weird. And not simply because he talks in dark, apocalyptic portents and sea and sky, but also because Jesus talks redemption. To people who may not be that sure, we need redeeming. How do you like it when Jesus gets apocalyptic redemptive? Flannery O'Connor, the last great Catholic theologian, said uh, famously, one of her anti-preachers, Hazel Motes, says, any man with a good car don't need redemption. Which suggests to me that whether or not you like the Advent scripture may be predicated on the cost of the car that brought you here this morning. Jesus goes apocalyptic, redemptive. Um, my first, very first Sunday in the pulpit of Duke Chapel, June 1984, and Durham was doing its usual nosedive into drought and turning West Campus into the Sahara. So during the prayer for others, I prayed for rain. Lord, please send us rain. We need rain. We promise to be good all year long. Send us rain. Well, after the service, this distinguished Duke professor swaggered up to me and said, Praying for rain? What is this? Uh, and then he said, Duke Chapel is a sophisticated, thoughtful university church. Praying for rain. The next Sunday, Jesus fed a multitude of hungry people with just a few loaves and fish. And I preached on it as well as I knew how. Well, after the service, this sophomore comes up to me and says, how in the heck can you preach for 20 minutes on world hunger and not mention our duty to get organized and stop world hunger. A sophomore calling me irresponsible. Well, I said, uh, hey kid, if you know how to stop world hunger, what are you doing wasting time here in church? Get on with it. Thus I was unsurprised a couple of years later when I asked, I put out a questionnaire, I asked you, what do you expect from sermons in Duke Chapel? And one of the predominant responses was, I want a sermon that reminds me of my responsibilities and motivates me to do my responsibility, to fulfill my responsibilities, to reach out to those in need. 
Okay. You ask for it. I want you to write this down. Get out one of those little tiny golf pencils they got in the back of the pews. Write this down. Okay, church, this week, I want you to work on your sexism, racism, classism, ageism, ethnocentrism. Stop using styrofoam. Go vegan, gluten-free, eat locally, think globally. If you want peace, work for justice, fight against gentrification. Don't drink so much. Don't give so little. Practice civility, mindfulness, inclusiveness. Take precautions on dates. Keep Sabbath, breathe deeply. Live simply, practice diversity. Perform random acts of, con of kindness. Pay it forward. You drink too much. Uh, don't you give me that look when I'm up here doing my Methodist moralizing on you. Do a good deed daily. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's up to you to do right or right won't be done. You're the hope of tomorrow. You can do anything you set your mind to. You drink too much. <laughs> do you notice anything missing? God. Come back next Sunday. You'll be given another list. You are responsible, sensitive, caring people. Uh, compassionate, liberal, open-minded, culturally diverse, gluten-free, mindful people who have your master's degree. Otherwise, you wouldn't be coming to this church. Christianity, therefore, is a kind of primitive uh, uh, technique of motivating responsible people like us to save ourselves by ourselves. That's why I, as a professional theologian, label most of you as Pelagians. It takes one to know one. You can Wikipedia Pelagianism when I'm done with you. Well, Pelagians are good people who are making progress. And we come to church not for world-shaking, heavens-rending redemption. We come for some fine moral tuning, a spiritual boost, not the Son of Man rending the heavens and coming down on clouds with glory and power, not God-wrought redemption. Well, sorry, it's the first Sunday of Advent. Did you notice? None of today's scripture is about you. There is absolutely nothing in any of the lessons for you to think or do or feel. And I, I know that makes people like us nervous. Advent makes nervous Pelagians with advanced degrees who drive Volvos and shop at Whole Foods and eat kale. Well, relax. There's a good chance that the Advent Scriptures may not even be for us. Advent, I think, is probably for other people. People who maybe wouldn't be comfortable at our gathering. People who find the economic, political deck stacked against them. People who don't even own the boots to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. People who've got no hope but God.
Now, we Pelagians, we live by the officially sanctioned, governmentally subsidized narrative. You know that how we got our lives together and we finally saw the light and, and we got organized and we got ourselves to church and we uh, overcame our biases and we, we gave up our bad habits and, uh, and we got back to God. But Advent tells a counter story, a, a story that you, can, that you cannot tell yourself, a story that is not allowed to be told anywhere else in this university. No, you had to get dressed and come down here to this weird building at an inconvenient hour of the week to hear this story. It's an odd un-American tale of God's rending the heavens and God stooping down to people that time and again have shown we cannot heft ourselves up to God. That story. I trusted you. You said you were making progress. You said that you were getting a handle on your destructive habits. And then, a couple of advents ago, you snuck into a little booth and pulled the curtain behind you, and when nobody was looking, you voted for a prevaricating, misogynist, casino-owning you. I don't think I'll ever be able to trust you with the fate of the entire world in your hands again. Oh, we've got good intentions. We get organized, we take action, and uh, we, we vote, we send troops to the border to protect us against pregnant women and their children, and uh, just happen to end up putting more of our fellow citizens in jail than any country in the world. We wanted security for our families, and somehow ended up getting the most violent streets uh, we wanted privacy and got loneliness. We wanted freedom more than anything, and we unintentionally enshrined vast economic inequality. Just last week, I heard that the lifespan of Americans for the first time in decades is shortening due to the opioid epidemic. It does something to you to know that vast numbers of our fellow citizens would rather do slow suicide than live with us. In other words, we are, despite any of our pretensions, just the sort of people who, when the sky turned dark one Friday afternoon, Church and state at last cooperating together. Power to the people, democracy in action. We got organized and we stood up to make Judea great again and, and we just happened to torture to death the Son of God on a cross. A sermon is not about you. A sermon's about God. And that 
wonderful moment when we open the scriptures and we dare to allow Jesus to talk weird to us. And we pray for the guts to risk potentially disruptive, redemptive questions like, what time is it? Are we at an ending or are we at a beginning? But more importantly, who is God? And what is God up to? And how can we, even we in our ineptitude, how can we hitch on to what God is up to now? You said you sincerely crave my sanctimonious Methodist moralism. Uh, how you could set yourself right, how you could get your social attitudes all cleaned up. Did you know all of this morning's scripture has a theme, at least that of Jeremiah and Jesus? And it is the theme is simply hey, people, God is coming. Or as we say it in church speak, Advent. Though time and again we have shown our utter inability to climb up to God, the good news, God in Jesus Christ is climbing down to us. Oh, the modern world, the modern world, thank you Voltaire, Bacon, Locke. The modern world found it really couldn't get going until it did something about an interventionist active God. And so we had to render God into a little godlet that is allegedly caring and compassionate, but never actually gets around to doing anything. We had to rob God of God's agency so we could get enough room for our Promethean human agency. Well, all of this morning's scripture says in different ways, we have a relentlessly redemptive God who refuses to leave things up to us. Jeremiah says, okay, I've had enough of you trying to do politics. Now I'm going to send you a new king of David, president, and he's going to execute justice, and he's going to execute righteousness whether you like it or not. And then Jesus talks about the weather changing and dark changes in the sky and the sea and the waves and the great nations trembling in distress and your redemption drawing near. Is that good news or bad? Uh, I guess that depends somewhat on where you happen to be when you get the news. Uh, where does this Advent find you? Or maybe it's good news or bad on the basis of how nervous you get at the possibility that God is not only love, but love in action. And that God shall not be defeated to get God's purposes for the world. When I was bishop in Bama, I tried to lead the church in confronting our sins of racism. 
And I remember one night in a church basement, we were in a discussion, and an older African-American woman said to me, Bishop, how I wish your good intentions could exercise this demon. But let me tell you, we've been, we've been waiting for y'all to do right for a long time. I just don't think this sin is going to be fixed by you. If there's not a redemptive God who loves to save sinners, I think your people are doomed. Well, this morning we're betting our lives that this morning's scripture is not only weird, it just happens to be true. Signs in the moon and the sun and the stars and the roaring of waves and the shaking of the nations, the son of man coming in clouds, our redemption drawing near. You know, the highlight of, of worship in my thousand Sundays here in Duke Chapel. The highlight for me was being up here and watching you during communion or the Eucharist. And I watched you come down that aisle and I watched you with all that you know and with your master's degree and with all that you're good at. And, but, but I watched you would come down that aisle and hold out empty hands. You, in spite of all your achievements, you, you were empty, receptive. You looked like a child, like a beggar, like you just couldn't go on unless you received a gift that you could do nothing to earn. You, you the body and blood, the presence of a living God. That, for me, was as good as it gets in this church. That was you at your most truthful. God at God's most redemptive. Hey, it's Advent. Keep your eye on the sky. It could be a change in the weather. Like it or not, your redemption.